0: Uh, keeping up with uh, what's taking place right now in our world, <clears throat> you're aware that uh, Russia has started, I guess you'd say, a soft invasion in preparation of a larger invasion at, at a later point, uh, which is really just in uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, actually 36, uh, starting through that, and it's just kind of starting to unflow or unfold rather. And, um, and I, I do uh, believe that there's so much that's going on in our world right now uh, that we need to uh, really uh, make sure that, that we are ready to meet the Lord and doing everything we can to work and to, to be useful in the kingdom of God. I'm going to pick up and I, um, <clears throat> those notes that we had last uh, Wednesday night that I passed out to you, and I think uh, this may this will be my last Wednesday night on this subject, so I'll be picking back up in the month of April, and so we'll pick back up with uh, Revelation, because Brother Patterson will be teaching throughout the month of March, uh, <clears throat> but let's talk about, we'll start there with the work of the restrainer uh, in Second Thessalonians. And um, when you look at that, you, you really can kind of be a bit of a, a tongue twister, uh, similar to Romans chapter 7. But turn over to uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at uh, <clears throat> that chapter there. That chapter primarily is concerned uh, with the fact that there uh, will be a, an arrival. Uh, of one that is the Antichrist although uh, the Antichrist is the spirit of the Antichrist according to what First John chapter 2, verse 18 talks about uh, that the spirit of the Antichrist is at work at large uh, even right now uh, in our world and, and one of the main things that Jesus pointed out in the Olivet Discourse was the fact about deception uh, about how that the, the the devil would work by deception and uh would try to cloud up the minds and the hearts of people and uh so so we do we do look at that but but look there in uh second Thessalonians chapter two, and I would like to start uh in verse one the bible says there now we beseech you brethren." by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And then notice what he says there. He says, let no man deceive you by any means, For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not Uh, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let or uh, allow. I don't know. I'm gonna make a little plug for that little book that I uh, give to you here a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't get one of those, I've got still have some of those uh, there. But this little uh, King James Bible companion. The word there, let, uh, means to hinder or obstruct. And so it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they that received not the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word, and work. So let, let's spend a little bit of time uh, looking at that matter of the restrainer. Uh, now, Paul in his letter to Thessalonians, you remember the context of what that was. That There are people that believed that the Lord was going to return and that when they were believing that the Lord was going to come in their lifetime. But when those people died and the Lord had not come back, it really created a lot of of doubt, discouragement, consternation in their heart, and it raised a question. And so what Paul is doing basically with uh, those letters to the Thessalonians is he's trying to encourage them and tell them that those that have died, they have not been forsaken, that the Lord is going to take care of them and that, that the part of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4 that when you look at that, that what he's saying uh, is that these people, the Lord is going to take care of them. And so that was a part to try to ease their minds. However, Paul also said that the man of sin uh, could not be made manifest yet because of the work of the restrainer. And so when you start looking at that part, the identity of the the restrainer uh, would have to be the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost, that, that it's holding back uh, the work of the enemy. And I, I would just say that uh, whenever the Lord does take His hand back away from uh, the earth or back away from this world, that there are a lot of things that are going to take place that are not going to bode well uh, for our earth. I want to turn. I want you to turn back to Romans 1 for just a minute, and um, I want to kind of chase a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Um, I want you to look in Romans chapter 1, and let's look in verse 18. Um, <clears throat> here is what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now here's a part of the wrath of God that sometimes that we do not think of as part of the wrath of God. But verse 24 says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So look what happens. He gives them up, and then in verse 25, they change the truth of God into a lie and they worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, verse 26, For this cause God gave them up. That's a phrase that recurs there. For God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense or reward of their error which was me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, see that phrase again, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And so whenever God gives you up to that part, He gave them up, in verse 26, to vile affections. He gave them up, verse 28, to a reprobate mind. And in verse 24, He gave them up to uncleanness. So whenever we start looking and thinking about the wrath of God, we think about as. Joel says blood, fire, and vapor of smoke because that's a lot of times where that we think about when the wrath of God takes place on this earth, there's going to be massive destruction that's going to take place and that is part of the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. But when you look in Romans 1 where it says that God gave them up, that's like God says, okay, a part of the wrath of God is this. God just kind of says, okay, you don't want me there and so I'm going to step back. And whenever God steps back, he gives them over to vile affections, uncleanness, and a reprobate mind. And when the Spirit of God is absent from this world, it is going to be absolutely a horrific place. It could The restrainer could not be human government. It couldn't be law or even the visible church because all of those are somewhat active to a certain measure even right now. So whenever the Lord steps away from this earth, then that mystery of iniquity or that mystery of lawlessness is going uh, to take over. And so while the spirit is still resident uh, within the church, which is the temple of God, then the man of sin cannot be revealed. So whenever you start realizing that, that we think, okay, so when is the mark of the beast coming? It's whenever the man of sin does appear. Well, the man of sin cannot appear until the restrainer is moved away, as is talked about there in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 7. So the ministry of the restrainer, which will continue as long as his temple, his church is in the earth, it's going to cease before the lawless one is going to make himself manifest, and the church will be gone. Whenever the Antichrist starts to work, however, keep this in mind. Turn over to First John two eighteen, uh, real quick. First uh, John chapter two and verse eighteen. is just kind of interject this in your in your mind. Um, look there um, at what John writes. He says, "Little children, uh, it is the last time." And as ye have heard that antichrist shall come, even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. So the work of the antichrist is taking place even right now. The spirit, that spirit is working right now. And uh, so let's look on at the next part. Now, what else we see is there is the necessity of an interval. There are certain events that have to occur between the rapture and the second advent. So whenever I say second advent, that's also interchangeable for another term that's called the day of the Lord. So the rapture and the day of the Lord or the second advent are separate occasions. Now, let me jog your thinking here just a little bit. What's the first advent? Anybody take a when we say that it was the first advent what 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 was that i know you know hannah the first advent was the incarnation it's one that we we celebrated at christmas okay so the first advent was when jesus came to the earth was born in a stable that's the first advent and then he lives his life he's the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then the Lord ascends to heaven, and then he's going to come back again. Now, when's the second time he's going to come back? The second advent, when his feet touches this earth, remember, he's going to be on the Mount of Olives, and the Bible says that the Mount of Olives will split. That's the second advent. So that's the the second time that the Lord touches his feet to this earth. Now think about this for a second as well. So what takes place during the rapture? The church is called up. Amen. So the Lord does not put his feet on this earth, we meet him in the air. Amen. And then the second advent is whenever he comes back and that's whenever all the, everything's gonna be settled and, and taken care of. So, if you got those notes there. Look at that. Look at that. It says there are certain events that has to occur between the rapture and the second advent, and we can see three specific things that takes place: the judgment seat of Christ, the presentation of the church to the Lord, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. So those three events takes place during that interval, and so there's a lot of things that are going on right now. And it's just like again, I mentioned Sunday, we we're, everybody's looking toward what's taking place in uh, Russia, with Russia and Ukraine. But behind the scenes, China's doing their are working. Iran is doing what they're doing. Turkey is doing what they're doing. And all of these end time characters or whatever you want to call them, they're all being they're they're all working. And, and you're looking at this large picture of what's taking place, and yet God is sovereign. He's in charge of the entire situation. So let's talk about the distinction between the rapture uh, and the second advent. And I, I put a chart uh, there for you at the bottom of page uh, 66. So let's look and let's make a, a comparison and contrast between the rapture and the second advent. What takes place at the rapture? Well, it's the removal of all believers, or the church. The second advent is the appearing or the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the world, again, will see him in his absolute power and wrath. Now, that's the part, too, where the church is going to come back with him, and we will be involved. And you've heard me say before, and I... I know this is probably just my imagination, but I told you I'm gonna hunt down all the devils that give me trouble, and I was gonna find them during that time when we all come back, okay? That's kind of kind of a lighthearted take, but the church will come back with the Lord and will be a powerful, powerful army uh, with the Lord working in that. So uh, the matter again of the, of the rapture, the saints are caught up in the air to meet the Lord, But at the second advent, the Lord returns to earth. During the rapture, the Lord claims his bride. In the second advent, he returns with his bride. The rapture is the removal of the church that begins the tribulation. When the second advent comes back, he is going to establish his millennial kingdom and that will kick off a portion of the beginning of that thousand year millennial reign uh, of the Lord. Now, here's where, again, and I want to clarify that whenever you read the Olivet Discourse, in fact, why don't we turn back and look at that for a minute. Look in Matthew 24 and look at what is taking place. Now, last week, while you're turning there, I'll, I'll, I'll mention this to you, but, but look again, um, you remember last week, whenever we were looking at some of the Old Testament passages, we were talking about the fact about how that, um, that you could not put the church in the context of where Israel was so, supposed to be. We talked specifically about where that the Old Testament, Jeremiah mentioned about Jacob's trouble. You can't put the church into Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble is a tribulation. So if you put the church into that, then what you've done is you've forced the context. You've tried to put the church as a part of Israel. And we're not a part of Israel. So look there at Matthew 24. Jesus went out, 24-1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily, verily, or verily, I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And then Jesus starts out. There are a series of things that starts to take place. Now, when you put these things together, when you put the unfolding of the seals together, whenever you put all these matters together, if you write in your Bibles, let me just quickly uh, just kind of show you uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 5. That's the first seal. Uh Matthew 24 and 6 is the second seal. Matthew 24 and 7 is the third seal. Matthew 24 and 9 is the fourth seal. And Matthew 25 and 14 is the fifth seal. And so when you start looking at the way that those seals are unfolding there, what's the Lord speaking of? He's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about what's gonna be the sign of your coming. When's the second advent gonna take place? Now turn over a few pages to Acts chapter one. And I'm glad that Luke wrote this in. I'm glad Matthew recorded that. And I'm also glad... Um, that, that Luke recorded this. Look in Acts chapter 1 and look in verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again to the kingdom of Israel? That is basically the same thing that they had asked him 50 days earlier. 40, 40 days earlier they're at the Olivet Discourse they're, they're basically saying okay Lord we see that you've gone through the crucifixion we saw your death, we saw your burial, and we saw your resurrection so Lord are you going to establish this time, will you at this time rest- uh, restore again the kingdom to Israel and he said to them it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And so again, he's having to reiterate to them again because they're asking questions. When are you going to come back? When are you going to establish the kingdom? The kingdom will be established at the second advent. Is everybody tracking along with me? Is it clear as a bale or is it as muddy as water? Or muddy muddy as mud? Okay, all right. Okay, so let's look back again at our chart there. Here's the thing about about the rapture. The rapture is imminent without any warning whatsoever. And so when people say, well, why are you pointing to Matthew 24 and you're saying that the Olivet Discourse is really pointing toward the second advent, it's like this. Because if we see these things unfolding in Scripture that have to take place before the second advent, and we know that the Lord is going to return before the second advent takes place, then that's why I'm saying now that the dashboard lights are flashing. And the Lord is doing everything he can to awaken if you're paying attention to what's going on now. I would also say that you shouldn't let the headlines create your theology. And yet here we are, we're watching the precursors of there. It says in Matthew 24, 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Remember talking about those birth pains? All of these things are, are just starting to, it's like we're about to have a baby here. The rapture, the second advent, is moving in that direction. So so the rapture is imminent and no warning. The second advent is preceded by a host of these signs. The rapture should be a comfort to the church. Now, I know when I was a kid, I was scared of the rapture. I was like, oh, my Lord, what am I going to do if I'm lost or if I'm left behind? And I think that probably most of us should feel like that, but why should we comfort one another with these words? That's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4.18. Why should we comfort one another with these words? Because we know that the Lord is gonna remove his church out before all of these things start to unfold. Now, I will say that what it should do to the church is escalate us to a place where that we work to do everything we can to build the kingdom of God. That means getting your hands on your families. That means getting your hands on your your friends, loved ones, coworkers, whatever you want to say, and reach out and do your best to try to get people into the church of God. Now, the rapture uh, is a mystery. The second advent is predicted by both testaments. Uh, The rapture, believers are going to be judged at the rapture. The second advent, Gentiles and Israel are going to be judged. They're going to be judged at the white throne of judgment. Uh, The rapture really leaves creation unchanged. The second advent, when you start looking at what takes place in the Olivet Discourse, and then as the book of Revelation unfolds again, let me reiterate to you again. And I had a doctor's appointment yesterday, and Of course, Dr. Reed was talking about the pandemic and always wants to talk about Scripture and talk about the end times and various things. So we talked about my great state of health for about five minutes, and then we talked about the Bible for 20 minutes. And and then he's probably going to send me a bill. I hope he's not watching this, but anyway. Uh, But, (laughs) however, um, and so yesterday, so we were talking, five million deaths from COVID. Five million, which is a lot of people. But compare that to 7.9 billion people. That's a drop in the bucket. But when you think about what's going to take place in Revelation 6 and take place in Revelation 9, almost 60% of the earth's population will die. That means that there will be somewhere around 4.9 billion people that will die. You can't even hardly wrap your mind around those numbers. And so whenever the second advent, during the process of that, the entire course of of creation is gonna be changed. Uh, Gentiles, the rapture, Gentiles are unaffected. Second advent, Gentiles are judged. So anyway, so we'll, we'll move on. Now, I don't... I didn't. Give, I don't think I made copies. Do you have page sixty-seven? No, just sixty-six. Okay, I I couldn't remember. So I'll uh, let's talk about the twenty-four elders. Who are the twenty-four elders? And we mentioned some of this here a few weeks ago when we was looking at at Revelation chapter four and chapter five. The twenty-four elders. We can't classify them as angels because the bible tells us that they you remember they took their crowns off and they cast their crowns down at the feet of the lord if you that christian music band called casting crowns that's where they got their that's where they got their name from and and so if they're wearing crowns and they're 24 elders that tells us that they're not angels because they're wearing what's called the victor's crown so who are those 24 elders. Well, the 24 elders uh, most likely could be a mix of Old Testament saints, New Testament believers. But but here is what I want to point out to you. Okay, you remember something called the priesthood of believers. You've heard that term before? Turn to first Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And this is what Peter says after we are after we have been converted. You're going to remember this when you see this. Uh, Hebrews, James, First and 2 Peter. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and look in verse 9. Here's what Peter says. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Let me camp out on that word peculiar. Sometimes people thought that was weird, odd. Okay, that... And people say, oh, yeah, we're peculiar. So it kind of gives you an excuse to act weird or act odd. That's not what Peter was talking about, okay? The word there, peculiar, means treasured, valued, important to God. But let me point out a couple of things there, okay? He says that you are a chosen generation, and then he says a royal priesthood, which means that there is what's called the priesthood of all believers, So that means that you and I, now I do believe we need a pastor, we need a local church that we're plugged into, but when you get involved in the priesthood of believers, then you are part of the role that you indeed are a priest. So these elders in Revelation chapter five and verse eight, they're in the role of a priest and they're never compared, the angels are never compared to that matter Of being a priest So let's put our thinking cap on If there is a sign Of the priesthood Of believers that are around That throne Then what does that mean That means that the church is absent From this earth I believe that the rapture takes place Right before Revelation chapter 4 But anyways You start realizing That these priests, the priesthood of all believers, uh, again, helps us to see that the church is absent from the tribulation. In fact, you're not gonna find the church mentioned except for a harlot church uh, after Revelation chapter four. The churches are addressed in Revelation chapter two and chapter three. You don't find the church mentioned. Now, you do find some believers and again, I try to get my mind wrapped around that because some of them are Gentile believers, which means that there will be some people who will be saved in the tribulation. And I have to revert back to what Brother Griffin said back whenever I was in Bible college. We don't know what God's program during that time will be. And whatever the Lord choose, right now we're in the dispensation of grace. That we're not certain as to what God's plan and work of salvation will be in the tribulation, but it does. It, it's, it's evident that there will be people who will become believers during that period of the tribulation. Now, again, I want to warn you: don't think that if I miss the if I miss the rapture, then I'm just going to get on that second train out, because that's not going to that's not going to work. If you can't serve God now the likelihood of you serving the Lord during the tribulation is not very high. And you remember what Jeremiah the prophet said? He said, how in the world, if you think, you he said right now, you can't even keep up with the footman. He said, how in the world are you gonna keep up with the horseman? How in the world are you gonna keep up with the swelling or the flooding of the Jordan? Because the times that are coming are gonna be very challenging, which means that we need to get into the church now. So, Turn back with me now. We're going to talk about the matter of the, the announcement of peace and safety. I want you to turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's look in verse 3. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. And let's look at verse 3. Okay? Here's what he says. If you mark in your Bibles, um, I'll kind of try to tell you what I did with mine. I put brackets around verses one through nine. I just made a big blue box around all of that, but the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. I put a box around beginning in verse one all the way through verse 10, or verse nine, rather, and I wrote up at the top of that the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Whenever I say the imminent return, I mean that there's no warning. And so now, I'll point out a couple of other things that I've underlined there. Um, Look in verse two. I underline that part, the day of the Lord. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I will... I think I'll use some of this in my acts notes whenever we were going through it, but I'll try to get you a list of the second coming passages uh compared to the rapture passages, and I'll try to have those for you <clears throat> next Wednesday night uh in my spare time uh, and then I did underline verse nine in red. And um, then I went back and underlined it in orange. The reason I underlined it in red and orange is because of what Paul says, for God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to cross-reference for chapter five and verse nine, it's also Romans chapter five and verse nine. But let's look here at the announcement of peace and safety. That's in verse 3. The Bible says there, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So you've heard that before. You've heard that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to take place. Now, what is the thing that's going to usher in a time of what we're going to call momentary peace and safety? It's going to be the arrival of the Antichrist. Because remember, he's coming into a world that is going to be filled up with chaos. And he's going to have answers. He's going to have solutions. And here's the deal. He's going to be the most charismatic politician that you have ever seen in your life. Now that's pretty, pretty rare that he's going to, because our, our world is, is very much divided and yet both sides of the aisle, wherever they're at in the world, they're going to love this guy. In fact, all through the book of Daniel, there are descriptions that are given to the Antichrist. He is going to be the man with the plan. And when he comes in, He's going to promise a solution that's going to fix all the problems in the world and there will be a time momentarily when everything is just, seems like it's a utopia on earth. And yet what what does Paul say? For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And so there is that Announcement that false security will lull people into a state of lethargy concerning the day of the Lord. Now, I did mention to you the 70th week. Remember, we're in that gap right now between the 69th and the 70th week that Daniel talks about. We're in the gap. Whenever the tribulation starts, it kicks off the beginning of that 70th week. So here's what we have to understand is that if the church were in the 70th week, there would be no possibility that during that period of time because believers are being persecuted by the beast to an unprecedented degree. If you've got persecution of the church going on during that time when there's peace and safety, then there's not peace and safety on the earth. So how do you explain and say, well, there's peace and safety that the church is gone? and that the church is not present during that period of time. So, now, here is something else that's very compelling, and uh, for, again, we're talking about a pre-tribulation rapture. Don't you think that if there was the church that was gonna be dropped into the tribulation, don't you believe that certainly that the epistles, Paul's epistles, and then the general epistles Don't you think there would be some warnings about that? I I I would think so. And yet here's what we find. The epistle of James, 1 Peter, and part of 2 Thessalonians were specifically written because of the impending persecution of the church. However, when you're talking about the persecution of the church, you're not talking about the tribulation. And so none of the other writers were moved on by the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Don't you think that the Spirit would have inspired Paul and Peter and James and John and Jude to write and to say, hey church, look, you're going to have to endure the tribulation. I would think that if the Lord was gonna have us to endure the tribulation, we would find it in the epistles. But you do not find that in the epistles. What is the primary, what what do you primarily see in the epistles? You see the establishment of doctrine, you see where that he unfolds the matter of salvation, uh, the matter of church government, the church of Christian discipleship or Christian living. That's what we see in the epistles. We don't see anywhere in the epistles where it's talking to us about you're going to have to endure the tribulation or the wrath of God. And I would think, just put two, remember last week or week before maybe, I said when you come to the scriptures, what you have to do is look at them literally and logically and let them unfold in their context. So I would think just logically thinking with a redeemed mind, sometimes not nearly as redeemed as I would like for it to be, But you would think that if there were things where that the church was gonna go through the tribulation, then somewhere between Romans and Jude, there would have been suggestions that all these gospel writers would have said, hey, you're gonna be in the middle of the tribulation. Get ready for it. But you don't find it there. Now, let's look at the message of the two witnesses. This is really, turn to Revelation 11. I'm kind of going to jump the gun a little bit. I will cover Revelation 11 uh, when we get to it because I'll cover each one of these chapters individually and try to walk through it. But in Revelation chapter 11, there's a very powerful scene uh, that's given there. And I'm going to point out uh, a couple of things to you. <clears throat> this is the place where that you find the two witnesses. And, and here's what's going to happen there are going to be some. Look in verse three. There, the Bible says there, and I will give power unto my two witnesses that they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, three score days. Now let's do the math. There, how many? How long is that? Three and a half years. So these witnesses are going to be preaching for three and a half years. They're going to be clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now where is that at? Well, let's back up and I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Back in your Old Testament. This is why the Old Testament is important. Zechariah chapter 4, and let's look at verse 11. All right, the Bible says there, this is Zechariah again, He, is, he is, he's prophesying, he said, Then answered I, and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick, and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what, what are these two olive branches which through two golden pipes empty out the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So Zechariah 4, 11 through 14 tells us, about those two witnesses. Now, I want you to turn over a couple of pages and look in Malachi chapter 4. More than a couple of pages. Look in Malachi chapter 4 and look in verse 5. Start in verse 4, rather. The Bible says there, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments behold i will send before you or be, be, behold i will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest i come and smite the earth with a curse now the two witnesses and there's a lot of debate and there's primarily four people that they kind of look at to say who are these two witnesses. Sometimes they will say one of those witnesses is Enoch. Some will say John the Baptist. I lean toward the next two, and that's Moses and Elijah. And the reason I lean toward that is because there's some things that unfold here in Revelation 11, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But again, just for the sake of Bible study, the four, char- the four possibilities of these two witnesses, again, Enoch, John the Baptist, Elijah, and Moses. But look, and turn to Revelation, back to Revelation chapter 11. I'm having a great time. I, I hope y'all are. Um, look at Re- Revelation chapter 11, verse 5. The Bible says there, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now here, right here, are some clues to help us to determine the identity of these two witnesses. But look in verse 6. It says, These have the power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Now who did that? Elijah. Elijah. In the Old Testament, he shut down the heavens, all right? And then look at the next clue, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, who was that? It was Moses. So I I lean toward, I think John here, in his inspired writings Helps us to see That the identity of these two witnesses Is Moses and Elijah But let's see what happens to them The Bible says And when they shall finish, have finished Their testimony their preaching Three and a half years The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit Shall make war against them And shall overcome them And kill them And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Where are they preaching at? Great city? Where are they at? Who said that? Jerusalem. Okay. Now, let's think about this. Okay. Let's dissect this with your mind. It says right here, they're going to lie in the city of Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, what was John getting at? Now, you know about the Old Testament place of Sodom and Gomorrah and Genesis 19, horrible situation with Lot trying to get out and he lingered. And then Egypt, you know about that. Here's the part that I believe The two end time spirits that's gonna try to prevail against the church and against those witnesses will be the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was homosexuality, and the sins of Egypt. You know as well as I know that Egypt has always been a type of the world, and those spirits will try to prevail in the end time. They'll try to get a chokehold on the church. Homosexuality and worldliness, you're right, it's here, Brother Mullen. Those spirits are here, they they are widespread, And, and John, in his inspired writings, helps us to see, and so they kill, the beast kills these, and their dead bodies are gonna lie in the city of the great, they're gonna lie in the street of the great city, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies, three days and a half and shall not suffer or will not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. Now, if you remember a couple, three weeks ago, I think I was talking about all the marks of, or the escalation, convergence, if you want to call it that, about how that things are moving. And you remember, we mentioned, we said that when you see that phrase, people, kindreds, and tongues, and nations, that means everybody. Everybody. The whole world is going to observe and watch what is taking place and they're gonna see these dead bodies that are gonna lay in the streets. In verse 10, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Now, how did they torment them? They tormented them with their preaching. And I, I have to confess to you, there's been a time or two I've heard some preachers that tormented me with their preaching. <laughs> some of them in a some of them in a bad way, but some of them in a very good way. And when I say tormented me in a good way, they provoked my conscience. And I was smitten in my heart. And I said, Lord, the, the, these men are preaching the truth to me and, and help me to respond. Amen. But that's not what these people are going to are going to say there in verse 10 it tormented them they hate they're god haters but notice what takes place in verse 11 and after 3 days and a half the spirit of life from god entered into them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them come up hither and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. That's pretty stunning. Just like Jesus ascended in Acts 1, these two witnesses, and everybody's gonna be there. I mean, they're gonna be FaceTiming. They're gonna have their phones out. They're gonna FaceTime live. They're gonna Facebook live. They're gonna YouTube live stream, and the whole world is gonna watch these two preachers, who I believe is Moses and Elijah, Going to raise up out of the off of the earth. And the Bible says that great fear fell on every one of them. And then notice what happens in verse 13. The same hour was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain men of men and 7,000 and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now now John slips in another clue and that's the part, see where he talks about the remnant? The remnant's always the good guys. And so there's a remnant, there's a small group of people that are going to be there that are going to be faithful converted believers. And so again, the Lord is going to be working in, in that matter. Now, let, let's go back and let's take a look at, at, these, at these two witnesses here. The gospel of the kingdom in the 70th week is accompanied by the preaching of the cross. Okay? I do believe that these men are going to preach the cross. What has been the primary preaching? We do preach the cross. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 2. He talked about preaching the cross. But what is the overriding message of the cross? That's the grace of God. And so when you look in the dispensation of grace, that's where we live, then the predominant message has been the message of grace. These men are gonna be preaching the cross. Which tells me, again, the church is committed to a dispensation of grace and the fact that the message announced is one of judgment and repentance and preparation in view of the coming king indicates that the church is gone and they're not there present to hear that that message. Now, let's look, um, and I'm skipping uh, through, um, a number because I've got I've got notes enough for me and everybody else. So I'm gonna skip. Let me skip down to this last. Let's let's look at the agreement of topology. Now, when you think about topology, you remember what Paul said? Uh, I believe it's in Second Corinthians ten. Uh, turn turn back there to Second Corinthians ten. Uh, I'm sorry it's in first Corinthians ten, and let's look at what at what paul is is talking he's illustrating um now now i'm gonna dabble into an area here. Uh, Let's start in 9.24. I'm going to dabble into an area right here uh, that deals somewhat with eternal security. And I will make my case. I do believe in conditional eternal security. I do not believe in absolute eternal security. So let's look in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the price. So run that ye may obtain. Now there are some saying that this is only dealing with the matter of of reward. I believe this deals with the matter of salvation. And the reason being is because of what Paul continues in verse 10. He says moreover brethren, I would not have you ignorant there, I would not have that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, you remember that doubting generation, they died in the wilderness. They never made it to the promised land. So Paul is speaking here, and he's saying, I want you to pay attention that you can become a castaway and you can die in the wilderness and never really experience the reality of what's taking place in The Promised Land. Verse 5, I chased a rabbit to get to verse 5. But notice, or verse 6 rather, look at what he writes there. He said, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be ye idolaters, and so on and so forth. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, These things are for our examples. He's saying there's a type that was created. He also mentions in the book of Romans, he said that these examples were given to you for your admonition and for your instruction. So if we look at the Old Testament types, then we can see the experience of Noah and Rahab. And and this is, I, I hadn't got my mind wrapped around this one yet. But this is what the Bible says. The clearest illustration is that of Lot. Lot is referred to as a righteous man. And you find that in second Peter chapter two, verses six through nine. But the angels had to come and literally get a chokehold on him and drag him out of the city. The angel came to Peter came to Lot rather haste thee escape thither for I cannot do anything till thou be thither till you're out of the city I can't do anything so if God was willing to save one righteous man out of that city before he poured his wrath out on that do you think that the type now am I veering off or are we using the type correctly the type is this: is that the Lord is going to take His church out before the wrath of God is poured out. So, if we've got the pattern of all, if we've got the pattern of all of these Old Testament types, then how can you get to the New Testament and say, "Oh, well, we can't follow that type. You're going to go through the you're going to go through the wrath of God. You're going to experience the tribulation." It doesn't fit. And so, arrest my case for a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I am going to, when I come back, I will in March or in in April, I will come back and we're going to talk about the mid-tribulation and we'll even talk about the post-tribulation. But what we're going to do, and I'm going to give them fair game, but we're going to look at why they see those things like they see them and then we're going to take a literal method of interpretation and put them through that and say, okay, what does Scripture have to say? Because it can't be speculation, can't be opinion, can't be, well, I had this vision, I had an elder so-and-so to say this to me. I'm not, I don't be disrespectful, but the fact is, is it doesn't matter to me what an angel come and told you. Paul said in Galatians 1, if I preach to you any other God or if any other person comes along and preaches to you any other gospel, though we are an angel, comes along. He said, let, let that man be accursed. So what we have to do is to look through the lens of Scripture. And again, I, I hope you all love me. You, most of you, all of you act like you love me, okay? But <laughs> who's laughing? Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, here, here again, okay? I want you to make sure that you don't have preacher or pastor religion. I, I want you to get the Bible for yourself. Because if you've got it for yourself, then it, it can't be taken away from you. And, and I love Brother Patterson. Brother Patterson's preached to me more than any other preacher. Nobody has preached to me as much as Brother Patterson has. I've listened to a bunch of Anthony Megan and cassette tapes, CDs, especially when I was younger. But nobody has preached to me as much as what Brother Patterson has. And and again, he's created that part. Where, what does the Bible have to say? And that's what we had to put our life, stake our lives on. Amen. Let's stand. And uh I went a minute over. I think I let you out early last Wednesday night, so the Lord have great grace and mercy on me. Thank you for coming tonight and uh just appreciate the goodness of the lord let's let's thank the Lord for his word That's right Lord. I am thankful for your word thankful for your goodness. I pray Lord tonight god that that what we have Lord, taken, God, here that we put it in our hearts, we let it stimulate our minds, And, and that, Lord, that somehow, God, that you're preparing us, Jesus, to be saved. I pray, God, tonight, Lord, that you keep your hand on every, Lord, family in this church. Help us, God, to honor you, to reverence you. Help us, God, to lean on you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Uh,